Hey guys, uh, my name is Griffin. This is my beautiful wife, Cammie. We have been married for 14 years. Yeah. It's a long time. We have three kids. I think there's a picture. We've got Sully, who is 11, and Rosie, who's nine, and Jolene, who is six. That's her little spicy face. So. <laughs> cool. So uh, it wasn't that long ago that we thought it would be a pretty good idea. The only real next thing to do was to split that family up. So if you'll have us, we'd love to tell you a little bit about what God did for us and totally resurrected what we completely wrecked. Uh, I was born and raised in a small town in northern Oklahoma, a pretty typical childhood, just a really loving family. We went to church on Sundays, but it didn't really affect Monday through Saturday. I knew a lot about Jesus and was around church quite a bit, but I just didn't have a personal relationship with him that had any effect on the way I was living and the choices I was making. So once I started high school, I began pursuing what I thought would make me happy. I was partying, drinking, and desperately seeking out my worth and value and the approval of men. I was so hungry for that approval that it started to play out in some really unhealthy ways in my life. At the age of 15, began years of sexual harassment by my boss at the time, who was a really close family friend of ours. At 16, one night at a party, I was sexually assaulted by a boy I thought really liked me. He ended up spinning the story to look like I was just another one of his conquests, and the derogatory and degrading things that were said about me caused some of my deepest hurt and pain. I never told anyone the truth of what actually happened that night and lived with an incredible amount of guilt and shame for several decades after that. The assault was a turning point for me, though, where I decided that I would never let another man have that sort of control over me again. I convinced myself that I could handle relationships on my own terms, go after whoever I wanted, cut the feelings out, and always be in control. But deep down, I was wounded and still seeking my worth and value and the approval of any man who would look my way. I continued this destructive pattern throughout college, thinking surely the next guy would finally be the one to make me happy. But all I was doing was heaping on shame, hurt, and pain. At 22, my destructiveness culminated in me having an affair with a married man. There really was no limit to what I would do to seek out that approval. After college, I got a job offer in Dallas, and moving away from my current state of affairs could not have seemed more appealing. So in 2005, I moved to Dallas, and a friend invited me to this church she found called Watermark. It was here that I truly heard and understood the gospel for the first time, that I needed a savior, I didn't have to clean up in order for him to love me, and that he died so I could have life. This love, acceptance, and approval is what I had always been searching for. So I jumped in at Watermark, began attending church, Bible study, and serving in the young adults ministry called The Porch, and that's where I met Griff. So I grew up in Miami, Florida, but my family moved to Dallas right after I uh, started high school. My parents are followers of Jesus and just celebrated 43 years of marriage. So as a child, I was taught about God, what Jesus had done for me on the cross. Um, we attended church every weekend. We spent a lot of time at church during the week. All of our friends are from our church. We literally live right across the street from our church. So God, Jesus, church, it was a big theme in my childhood life. Um, as I got older, I was involved in my church's youth group. I went on mission trips, did a lot of other churchy stuff. But God had no real relevance to me personally. It was like a part of my life, and I believed in God. But there, it was like, yeah, it's great. I'm saved. Awesome. Not going to hell, but that was about it. 
Um, I strive to be good and do what the Bible said because I knew I should, and I really just didn't want to displease my parents, honestly. Uh, but I didn't really know them at all. I didn't read my Bible. I didn't spend any time in prayer. I was mostly focused on others perceiving me as a decent person. It was a lot of work that ultimately left me feeling pretty isolated and shameful for how bad I felt like I really was. Um, I functioned this way for most of my life going forward. I was always looking for a way to belong, some way to be validated, validated by the people around me. In high school, that meant um, doing church activities and hiding all the inappropriate relationships I was having with girls on the weekend. In college, when it was no longer fashionable to be a good Christian or to do churchy stuff, I just followed my folly and did whatever felt right in the moment. That time in my life was the beginning of a disastrous on-again, off-again relationships that I would have with alcohol and drugs. Um, I moved from girlfriend to girlfriend, always desperate for someone to validate me. Um, I flunked out of college after my first year and moved back home to Dallas. I knew I needed to make some changes in my life, and I still had a belief in God, so I began attending church again. I decided to try the porch here at Watermark. That's where I met Cammie in 2006. So Griffin and I were married 11 months later in March of 2007. The first years of our marriage were characterized by either high highs or low lows. We were complete opposites. I worked a nine to five. Griffin was home all day and worked as a guitar player every evening. I came from a family that never communicated or said sorry. Griffin came from a family of over communicators where sharing feelings was very normal. I'm pretty neat, scheduled and organized while Griffin is very relaxed and easygoing. So there were lots of feelings of incompatibility from the beginning, which of course we handled differently. So I tended to withdraw and focus on a plan or action items to make things better while Griffin was passively hopeful that things would just eventually get better. At this point in our marriage, we were completely ignorant of the fact that we did actually have expectations of one another and we tended to always look at the other's behavior as the source of the problem, rarely considering that maybe all the junk we've already mentioned tonight had something to do with why we each struggled in our marriage. Then a year and a half into marriage, my dad passed away from a five-year battle with cancer. Even though uh, we knew there was no beating the type of cancer that he had, I was devastated at the reality of being left to live in a world that didn't include my dad. I saw the toll that it took on my mom to lose her husband and as a form of self-protection began to put up walls with Griffin because if I didn't ever let him get too close, then it wouldn't hurt as bad if something ever happened to him. In the midst of working through my grief, several months after my dad's death, we became pregnant with our first child. So when I met Cammie, I was back on the straight and narrow, but I still had no real relationship with God. I didn't spend any time with him or read his word. Instead, I was still trying to validate my insecurities by looking like I was doing all the right things. Um, I played in the band at the porch, I joined a community group, things like that. My identity was focused around being perceived as a great musician and having a good woman in my life. I was a glutton for approval. I was obsessed with how I dressed and other ridiculous things like my hair being perfect. And obviously, God in his kindness saw fit to remove that idol from me. <laughs> I was easily hurt or angered when anyone did anything that made me feel like I wasn't smart enough, good enough, cool enough, whatever enough. I carried all this baggage into our relationship. I perceived Cammie's self-protection as rejection. 
which led to a cycle of consistent conflict between us. When I felt rejected, I would lash out in conflict by giving full vent to my anger. Proverbs 29, 11 teaches, um, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. This caused Cammie to pull away even more, which only fed my frustrations and feelings of disapproval. Years of operating in this unhealthy way led to a lot of fighting and never resolving conflicts, until eventually we were two people just living in the same house, raising kids together. We would go weeks without speaking, that is not an exaggeration, just weeks where we didn't acknowledge one another's presence, and we found ourselves uh, much further apart than we ever thought was even possible. Because of the hurts and wounds from my past, I never wanted to feel weak, vulnerable, out of control, or wrong. I wasn't allowing God or anybody else to speak into those hurts. I didn't look to him to heal those wounds, so not surprisingly, they never got better. So in my marriage, that played out in never being able to admit my mistakes or seek forgiveness, being emotionally unavailable, and always keeping Griffin at arm's length. I tried to control what Griffin did and the choices he made, and just generally disconnected from our relationship because it was too risky to be fully known. I was solely focused on Griffin and looking to him to change to make the marriage better. I can't tell you how many times I thought if he would just fill in the blank, then things would get better. But Matthew 7, three through five says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. That plank in Griffin's eye was the only thing I could see and I was pretty sure I didn't even have a speck in my own eye. My struggles were less obvious on the outside, so it was really easy to point the finger at him and to tell myself that he was the only one who had any real problems. So on my end, I was certain that the state of our relationship was mostly Cammie's fault as well. Um, I was completely unwilling to consider how obsessed I was with her approval of me. I was desperate for her to validate me, and I blamed her for almost everything wrong between us. I rarely felt accepted by her, and I exasperated her by trying to force a closer relationship. I crushed her under the weight of my neediness. I wasn't loving and serving her unconditionally from a place of strength. I was trying to get her to open up so that my needs could be met. Uh, eventually, I quit trying to work at things at all and uh, just tried to deal with the fact that this relationship was not gonna be what I hoped it would. So I returned to my old friends, uh, drugs and alcohol. Alcohol made it feel like I get could get through the day a little bit easier. It helped me ignore the pain I was in and the rejection that I was feeling. I wanted to be loved, respected, and valued, and I, I couldn't figure out how to get it. So I drank in increasing amounts over the years. I was completely blind to the truth that I already had all the love and acceptance I could ever need in the person of Christ. That truth is in Ephesians 2. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace you've been saved. I had known about Jesus for a long time, but I didn't understand how much God loved me or that he was the answer to the ache in my soul. So I hid my sin from everyone. No one knew that I had become completely dependent on drugs and alcohol just to physically get through the day. I was a slave to the very thing that once made the days move a little bit easy. The substances I was hooked on no longer numb the pain like they used to, um, I drank and used just to feel normal. At the height of my addiction, I began to get closer to a female coworker. 
Our friendship grew and eventually became a full-fledged affair. It is the worst decision I have ever made. It's a decision that even at my lowest, I didn't think I was capable of. I know now that that affair was just another place that I was looking for significance and validation. When it ended, I was a complete mess because all my coping mechanisms couldn't satisfy me. And they left me feeling worse off than when I started. And I had caused a world of chaos that I knew I couldn't fix. Um, one night I came home really drunk and Cammie confronted me about it. And uh, I had tried several times to get sober without telling anyone before. And I had failed every time. And so this time around, I just rolled the dice and told Cammie about my drinking. I began Regen, just Watermark's recovery ministry. And for a while, things got better. I confessed the affair to Cammie while I was working the steps, and we began to rebuild. But like any other sin struggle, when we try to manage it in our own strength, it just doesn't go well. That truth is in John 15, 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So in a few short months, I was back to drinking daily, hiding, lying, all the same old tricks. Um, there isn't really enough time to describe the rest of what happened that year, but one year after Cammie confronted me, um, I checked into an inpatient rehab center. I can't say enough about how important our community group and families were during this time. The guys in my community group literally uh, pursued me when I literally tried to run, <laughs> and our parents, along with many other friends, supported Cammie and the kids emotionally and financially while I was away. During that year, we were actually going through re-engage. I wanted to come so that Griffin could get fixed, but it turns out they don't offer that service here. <laughs> so Griffin confessed the affair during week two of our re-engage group, but he was still hiding big parts of the story like continuing to drink and use. We tried to reconcile after the affair confession, but because I was afraid of the hurt and worthlessness that the affair made me feel, I never really processed it and continued in my pattern of shutting off my feelings and pushing things down. We had some surface level reconciliation that we tried to convince ourselves was the real deal, but it was short lived and before long we were back to being roommates and back to only focusing on the other's problems. During this time, I learned about the continued drinking and was devastated all over again. When I found evidence of drug abuse in our home, I called our re-engaged leaders and Griff's parents to come over and help me walk through asking him to leave our home. That started a week of a downward spiral for Griff that ended in him checking into rehab. The last night of re-engage is your celebration night, which I didn't go to because I was alone with our three kids while Griff was in rehab. I felt like I had nothing to celebrate. This is what my best efforts at self-protection and controlling my husband and my marriage had gotten me. My efforts at trying to keep it all together came crumbling down around me. I was alone, sad, feeling unlovable, and was 100% sure that my marriage was over. So after I got out of treatment, um, Cammie and I were separated for six months. I moved into a sober living house with five other addicts. We were living separately, but our community was pushing us to pursue reconciliation. Um, when God sobered me up, my relationship with him began to dramatically change. For the first time in my life, I quit trying to manage all the crazy, and I just surrendered, um, trusting that he could do for me what I was unable to do for myself. I began reading God's word, and it literally, to this day, has just changed my entire life. I spent time with him in prayer, and I met regularly with the guys in my community. 
God was good to me, and he was showing me how to live sober. Um, Galatians 5.16 tells us that if we walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so you are not to do whatever you want. I also discovered in God's Word that I didn't need anyone's approval because I was already made complete in Christ. That's in Colossians 2, 9 and 10, where it says, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. He showed me that what I wanted all along was just more of him, and he was the means by which I could live free. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4 says that his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. And through these... He has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Uh, after that time, I never went back to drinking. As I read the word more, I was convicted about what a terrible husband I had become. I began to find greater satisfaction in my relationship with Jesus than I ever did in booze or drugs or even Cammy's approval. And so it freed me up to begin pursuing Cammie again while we were separated. I came over regularly to take care of the yard and see if there was anything I could do to help her manage the day-to-day -day struggles of living alone with three children. Uh, I came over for family dinners at some point and uh, began to share with her what the Lord was teaching me. Even though I wasn't by any means free of my own struggles, God had allowed me to begin to lead out spiritually from the place that I was in seeking forgiveness for the ways that I had hurt her and sharing with her the peace that I was finding and surrendering to the Lord. I had some peace for the first time in my life, and I wasn't so consumed with making sure that she knew how her issues had affected us. Instead, I tried to take responsibility for the part of the problem that I certainly knew was mine. I hoped that this would lead Cammie to responding in kind, but I wasn't sure that, that would actually happen. I was afraid that I could do everything right and lay my life down for her the way that Ephesians 5 describes and that she would still remain unmoved. A wise mentor of mine hit me with something that changed my whole perspective. He told me that if you lay your life down for somebody and they remain unmoved, you don't lose. It just makes you a little bit more like Jesus. And if you're doing that with him, being a little bit more like Jesus is going to bring you peace. So Griff was finally becoming the man I always wanted. He's abiding with the Lord. He was serving, pursuing, loving me. He was responsible, dependable, and it still didn't change things for me. And this is the part of the story where I was finally forced to face my own sin. Um, I was fully sold on the story that if Griffin stopped this then and started doing these things, that our marriage would just be better. And while it is true that he did need to stop doing some of those things and he did need to start doing other things, it just isn't the whole story. So my same struggles of control, disconnection, self-protection were still very alive and well. This was the breaking point for me and is what finally forced me to have to consider myself because this is what I had been asking for for a decade. I had the husband doing all the things I ever wanted and I was still miserable, still unable to receive his love or to love him in return. So I began listening to the wise and godly counsel around me, which helped me see how not dealing with the hurts from my past was keeping me stuck. I was holding Griffin hostage for all of my hurt and pain, even the parts that had happened long before we ever met. 
I let the assault, the affair, all the bad choices I made, all the hurt that had been done to me, define me and tell me my worth and value. So it's no surprise how worthless I was left feeling. I didn't know who God said I was, but it was instead looking to others and how they treated me to tell me how worthy and valuable I was. It was only when I began to know and believe my identity in Christ that things changed for me. I was able to begin to sort through the pain of my past and the pain from my marriage through the lens of who God says I am. I began to understand that those experiences don't have the power to define me because who Christ says I am is set in stone and cannot change no matter the circumstance or experience. 1 John 3, 1 says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. I didn't have to self-protect anymore because not every situation was a threat to this false identity I had been clinging to. It freed me up to begin to love Griffin and to receive love from him in return. Not because he finally shaped up and did all the right things, but because I was finally becoming the woman that God made me to be. Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So God has completely changed our marriage, um, but by no means are we immune to struggles. You know, I'm still tempted to believe that anything but Jesus can really satisfy me. And Cammie is definitely still tempted to believe lies about her identity. I think communication for us on difficult topics has something, uh, struggle we've something we've always struggled to do very well. Uh, we've, but we have tried doing it our own way and, um, and tried doing what seems right to us. And Proverbs 14, 12 holds up. That going your own way will lead to death. Our marriage was dead. It was no fun. We, it's hard to like explain it. We really hated being with one another. It was not fun in our house. And now because of what God's done for us, we really, really love one another and we celebrate the ways that we are so very, very different. Um, God, can, God, God can do whatever he pleases. So if you're in a tough spot tonight, we are just begging you to take the next obedient step and ask God to do for you what you haven't been able to do for yourself because he can do it. Um, Psalms 1830 or Psalm 1830 says, as for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. So our hope is that our story will challenge you to seek the Lord. Let him show you that he is sufficient for whatever circumstance you're finding yourself in tonight. Thank you guys so much for letting us share.